The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to the Makers of Minnesota, cool people doing cool things. And a lot of times we focus on food. I guess we've been focusing almost primarily on food just because that's the space that I'm in most, and I know a lot of people in that business. If you like the stories that you're hearing, we would love it if you could give us a rating on your podcast provider, um, whoever that happens to be. When you rate a podcast, it helps other podcasters and other people that are listening see those podcasts because there are so many these days. Also, if you like a podcast, you're more than welcome to share it. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. And today we are with a gal that we've had on our weekly dish radio program, Jennifer Alexander, Jen from Jen's Jars. Welcome. Thank you. Excited we had to be here. Yeah, we had you on weekly dish and we got to talk to you. That's a, it's a brief segment that I do on my radio show on Saturday mornings from nine to 11. And it's like a 10, 11 minute segment And I really wanted to have you back in because I think your story, and we'll talk about that story, but I think it's something that is really interesting to a lot of people. So Mm -hmm. Jen, describe your product that you make. So I make um, plant-based soups and spreads. Um, That's kind of the name that I came up with. I know uh, you can also say dips or... I think spreads is good. Yeah, soups and spreads. You got the little alliteration there. Um, but they all come in glass mason jars. So, um, for me, jars are a huge part of my journey. You taught me a word about, uh, being a jorder, which is a jar hoarder. And I definitely am. Oh, me too. And I go to my daughter's house and I'm like, do you have any jars that I need to bring back home? Cause I put like soups like you do, but I also put like salads and grains and all kinds of stuff in them. Yeah. Everything. I think they're just such an awesome tool. I mean, not only for complementing a healthy lifestyle but for you know tons of cool little yeah things and you can, can heat them. things up in them with people don't realize they're like oh do you heat them up in the microwave i'm like yes i do right yeah, and occasionally every once in a blue moon one will crack right in the freezer but yeah it doesn't happen very often right they say usually with wide mouth jars um the less of a shoulder then the the better chance that it won't Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you just have to make sure to leave enough room for expansion. Yeah, so so you leave like a headroom, like an inch, I guess. Right. Um, So, Jen, you're a young woman and you came to this business, I think, through a pretty unique story about food and health and wellness. So Mm -hmm. could you give me a little bit about your backstory? Well, it go how far how far back do you want to go? All the way. (laughs) Whatever works. Well, um, I guess it really all started when um my mother-in-law yep. so my husband now husband's um mother was diagnosed with breast cancer okay in 2013 and um you know he's her only son and he's he was grown at the time already yep. so um she was very very fortunate to catch her cancer very early and it was not an aggressive form of cancer 
Um, so she decided, you know, instead of going straight for, you know, traditional treatment or a mastectomy, she wanted to kind of try some alternate sure. lifestyle change um, and see if that had a positive effect. Um, we were, of course, huge skeptics. Uh, it was really scary. I think. So was she stage one? Yes, she okay. was stage one. Um, I the exact name of her cancer escapes sure. me, but um, it wasn't a, a fast moving or aggressive type of cancer. So she was very fortunate in that sense. But um, basically, she just completely changed her diet and her lifestyle. She um, cut out meat. She cut out dairy. She cut out gluten. Sugar was a huge thing because... Um, cancer feeds on sugar. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Sugar feeds cancer. Um, and then she also um, used an alkaline diet as well because um, disease thrives in an acidic environment. Yep. So basically just cutting out anything that could take, you know... So any... what did she eat? Do you remember? I mean, there was... It was less about... And I think... This was actually very important to her um, positive mental attitude was not what she couldn't eat, but what she did eat. So it was, you know, she cut out all of the things essentially that she used to eat prior to um, her diagnosis. And then she really just started boosting her immune system. She was juicing every day, obviously smoothies for the fiber, too. But sometimes juicing is really um, a useful tool when you need just so many nutrients and you can't actually consume that much food um so she was juicing she was blending um just a lot of greens she was eating more than 51 percent raw so um the majority raw a lot of alkalizing foods cucumbers lemons surprisingly are one of the most alkalizing foods um so really just um changed everything about the way that she was eating and cooking and um my husband and i i was already a vegetarian but never from a health standpoint. Right. So a lot of young people that are vegetarians just means like massive amounts of cheese. Right. (laughs) I know. And And fake like wheat uh, chicken nuggets, fake mock nuggets or whatever they call them. You are finding a lot of the, you know, faux meats and cheeses and things like that, which, you know, that's when you're coming to like vegetarianism or veganism from an ethical standpoint, that's, Wonderful. Right. By all means, it's great to have a substitute. But um, as far as, you know, transitioning to a plant based diet and really trying to get like whole unprocessed foods into your diet, you know, that's maybe not the best way. Right. The way that you would want to go necessarily. So I think there is has kind of become a little bit of a divide between the term vegan and plant based. Yes. Although, you know, you can you can identify with whatever you want. And a lot of people do. There's like flexitarian diets now, right? Right. So your mother-in-law is experiencing good health benefit, I'm assuming. Yep. So basically, um, long story short, we were huge skeptics to begin with. It definitely took a huge paradigm shift um, just to really, you know, believe that that you can heal yourself and, with food. Right, exactly. Like how much of an impact it can actually have on your health. Um, but we did start incorporating some of the aspects of um, the changes that she was making uh-huh. and found that like, hey, this is really making a difference and we're enjoying food more than we ever had. Um, and then within seven months, she went back for um, a, an ultrasound. The doctors wouldn't give her an MRI because she hadn't taken their 
um, advice. advice. Um, and this is their my in-laws live in Scotland, so this was in the NHS. Um, But they couldn't find either of her tumors. So one had shrunk by 90% and one was completely gone. So they then gave her an MRI. Um, So she decided, you know, I'm going to continue doing this. She had figured in the beginning if they had grown or if anything, then then she would take traditional treatment. Exactly. Um, But she kept going, and then within one year, she um, got... A complete cancer-free and free of all cancerous residue. Um, so, you know, that was very encouraging. Um, and how does she now, feel? Well, she's now five years cancer-free. She, um, in February of 2018, she hit her five-year. Um, she's, of course, added some things back in and gotten a little bit more relaxed with, um, you know, sometimes she'll she'll do some, like, free-range game yep. or... Um, a few different types of meat and things like that. Um, so she's not like as strict as she was at one point, but she's still, she's 60. Oh gosh. She'll hate me if I can't remember. I think she's 63. <laughs> she, yeah. She's 63 now. Um, and she's in the best health of her life. So, I mean, it just really, for us, that was what opened our eyes and kind of made us willing to realize like, this could be a thing. Yeah. So, you took to heart that personal story, and you also had mentioned to me on the Weekly Dish that you were suffering from some effects of anxiety. Right. So, um, my, as I mentioned, my husband is from Scotland, yep. and um, we had a really difficult visa process that we went through after we got married, actually. Um, it ended up taking almost two years to get him here. Um, and that, you know... That's a, a long time. Right. So, and we never knew, you know, our lawyers said in the beginning, maybe nine months. Right. Um, So we had kind of geared up for that, but waiting two years and being long distance when you've just gotten married and um, also we had just moved back from Spain. So he and I met in Madrid. I had been living there um, teaching English as a foreign language and... um, Basically, moving back home, getting married, and not being able to be with my husband, and kind of in that transitional stage of like, what do I do with my life? Those are all very anxiety-inducing events (laughs) anyway, but um, I just realized I was having a lot of mental health issues. You know, I was just... What did that look like for you? Like, is it... Um, like, were you feeling moody? Were you feeling depression? Were you feeling sleepy? Yep. There were days that I, you know, didn't want to get out of bed. Yep. And it was that unusual for you as a person? Typically. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was always um, pretty bubbly, wanting to get up and get out and do things. And, and you were living with your parents when I was, this was all happening? Yep. Because it was also one of those things where you don't want to go get a, an apartment by yourself sure. when... You could get a call that he got the visa any yep. day. So it was like we were in a holding pattern for two years. Um, and so for me, not only the mental health issues, but also, you know, I was having like skin issues, which we talked a little bit about um, on the radio show. I was having issues with eczema yep. and kind of some um, random rashing that would pop up when I would eat certain foods, but I couldn't ever really figure out what exactly it was that was causing it. Um, but when that would happen, you know, it would just contribute yeah, to the anxiety and, you know, not knowing what to do. Um, and so taking control of what I ate, 
you know, adapting a plant-based diet also sort of gave me um, a little bit of control over something in my life. Yeah, I Um, I can see that. And so that was the switch. Like, okay, I'm getting these rashes. I'm not feeling like myself. Right. I don't know why, but I'm under all this stress. All these Mm. things are happening. Maybe I can at least cure the rashes or the eczema or whatever. And so you started to do that with food through just eating plant-based things. Exactly. So tell me what a traditional like day of meals would look like for you when you were trying to heal yourself. Right. So meal prep is huge. I know um, we've talked a little bit about this as well, that um, it's the key. You can't. You can't um, follow a strict plant-based diet unless you do some prep in advance. Because if you do, you're going to go to the fridge and you're going to see a fridge full of raw vegetables. And you're going to be like, I'm starving and I have nothing to eat. Yeah. Um, Because really, even if you're just doing like raw veggies or something, there's still some amount of prep involved there. So what would you eat like for breakfast? Yeah. So my breakfast is typically when I get a little bit of fruit in. Um, I always start my day with... uh, Warm lemon water with a little bit of cayenne pepper to get, you know, digestion moving and just to really start my day off right. Get my little bit of vitamin C. It's also very alkalizing, like I mentioned. Um, So that's really the best way for me to start my day. Um, I still do coffee. You know, that was one of the things that I had. Never going to give it up. Me neither. <laughs> I'm a coffee person. Me coffee too. Coffee and wine, all right? Yep, yep. <laughs> They're my vices. But um, although there was a time when I, I cut out wine when I was eliminating sugar. Yep. Because it was just, you know, there there is a lot of wine. sugar in wine. Yeah, there is. Um, so then. But yeah, and then a uh, little bit of fruit in the morning. Um, and then for lunches, I always meal prep salads. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and vary what greens I use in the base, like I've been on an arugula kick lately, yeah. but, you know, a lot of times I'll use um, seasonal greens that we get in our CSA, yep. of course, during the summer. But aside from that, like, I switch out between, like, arugula, organic romaine sometimes, organic spinach is always a staple. Um, and then I make quinoa in bulk. Yep. So I'll do, um, I make, like, a turmeric quinoa with, you know, a hefty portion of anti-inflammatory turmeric, black pepper, um, use you know, throw a little bay leaf in there, yep. a little bit of Himalayan sea salt. Um, so I do that just to kind of like bulk it up, really like get some good healthy carbs. Sure. Um, that way I just feel really full and satiated after my like mm-hmm. lunch salads. Um, and then, yeah, any veg that we have. I love um, beets. I love cucumber. Red onion is really good. Also very alkalizing. Um, and then uh, lots of seeds. Lots of seeds and lots of nuts. Yeah. So I do um, raw uh, pumpkin seeds, raw sunflower seeds, raw hulled hemp seed, and um, raw sesame. And at what point did you start to feel better and make the connection, not only just to that your skin was healing, but that you were getting out of bed every day and not feeling so blue? Well, um, we talked a little bit about the difficulty of cutting out sugar mm-hmm. in the um, weekly dish segment. And that, I would say, was the hardest part because I thought it wasn't working mm-hmm. because I actually got worse before I got better. Right. Um, and I will say, if you are somebody that is interested in cutting sugar out of your diet, just stick with it because... Doesn't it take like 21 days or something? Yep. I would say for me, it was probably like two and a half, three months. 
Um, and it got work. You know, my skin actually purged. Um, sorry, I know that like sounds normal, no. but like my skin got worse before it got yeah. better. Um, the mood swings were crazy, like just up and down. Um, hunger. Yeah. You know, just feeling hunger in different ways. Um, but really, it was. It was about two and a half months in, about like mid January of that. It must have been 2015 of January. Um, yeah. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is like what I'm supposed to feel like. <laughs> yeah. This is like what I have been missing out on for the past, I don't even know how long I hadn't been feeling normal. Yeah. And you felt um, like you could cope with things and you felt like. Right. I just found it um, easier to get up in the morning, easier to get motiv- motivated. Um, I also. I noticed with cutting out sugar that I experienced hunger in a very different way. Um, you what know, do you less mean by that, that. You know, you know how there's a term now that people say "hangry." Yep. Like where you get so hungry and you're just like, "Oh my god, I need to eat something right now." I don't get that anymore. Um, I definitely know that it's time to eat, or that it's like, okay, yeah, it's lunchtime. I need to yep. eat something, or I'll feel um, tired and know that I need to eat. But I don't get that. I remember I used to feel like an empty feeling in my stomach Uh that was like, you know, if you eat like a really carby meal and then later you have that feeling of hunger, but you know, it's not really hungry. Yeah, because you just ate a gigantic portion of carbohydrates, but you're just feeling starving. Right. And that was how I used to experience hunger. And I don't have anything like that anymore. So I know that I'm hungry when I'm feeling a little bit tired. Oh, that's so interesting. So then you, um, tell me about then how you translated all of this healthy living into like, hey, I'm going to make this company based on plant-based food products. Right. So, um, you know, like I told you, jars ended up being such a huge tool for me and food prepping. So I would make these huge batches of soup on the weekends and... um, Do you eat a lot of soup? I do. Yeah, I would think you would. Yeah. Just because it's hot. Yeah, well, and that's the thing about soup. Like, soup to me is the epitome of comfort. Yeah, like of home. It is. Like, when I would come home from college, when I would come home from Spain to visit, my mom would have a batch of wild rice and mushroom soup. Yeah. Of course, laden with... (laughs) Cream. Butter, cream, (laughs) flour for thickening. (laughs) So, you know, but for me, that meant home and... um, I think especially when transitioning to a plant-based diet because it can be so easy to concentrate on the things that you can't eat. It's really great to just have foods that feed your soul. Yeah. Like com- those really nourishing, satiating like foods that are um that are going to help you realize that you don't you don't miss the things that you can't eat. You know, for me soup helped me concentrate on like the amazing flavor that I could get yeah. from plants. And I think too, when you are eating really cleanly, you start to notice that things taste, that you, the nuances and the subtleties of taste can right. get lost when you're just shoveling food in. For sure. And um, on top of that, in order to get tons of flavor and a ton of nutrients, you end up using a lot of um, spices yeah. and things that have so much more flavor. I use so much turmeric and cumin and um, cayenne pepper. And, you know, it's just there are so many nutrients in those spices and so much flavor that I never used to 
experience. Yeah. yeah, I would. I wouldn't even really experiment with spices because I was just you know getting things that were pre-made. Yeah, you know. Yep. So so you um, are eating a lot of jarred food. Tell me how right, Jen's so. jars came about. So really, I felt once I really got a hold on this lifestyle, um, I felt like I wanted to share it with people. Mm-hmm. And I, my friends and family would, um, you know, try my products and really enjoy them. And they're like, Jen, you got to share this because there are so many people out there that are struggling to to either adopt a plant-based diet or just get their health back in order. So let's just talk about your pesto for a second. Yeah. It's spinach. Mm-hmm. It's basil. So I... actually no basil, believe it or not. Really? Right. It's all spinach. So there's a third a pound of spinach in one jar. Okay. And it's, it's all raw. Um, so that's why it's a refrigerated product. It's because I don't can because, you know, if you find a canned. I can't believe there's no basil in it. I'm just dying right now. I know. Because it's usually so are good. Like, it, and, and it tastes like basil pesto. So why does it taste like basil if right. there's no basil in it? I know. It's. Honestly, I think a lot of the flavor of basil pesto is from the olive oil, the um, pine nuts as the well. The garlic, maybe? The and garlic. the greens, yeah. Right, so I huh. use a lot of the ingredients that you would find in a basil pesto. Um, instead of Parmesan cheese, I use a little bit of grated um, organic coconut meat, which, believe it or not, you don't really taste the coconut at all. Yeah, but it, you don't. It gives it that creaminess, and it kind of acts as... Um, like a binder, like it's to keep so it, good, Jen. To keep it together, so so that there's not as much oil separation. Yeah, it's so good. Oh, good. That is crazy. That's so okay. You just blew it. my mind because I love that product. Good. Like I, when I had that product the first time, I was like, okay, this is better than any pesto that you can buy in the store, and it's as good as what I can make. Wow. Which you don't find that in a prepared food item very often, and pesto can just be time consuming. It's kind of putsy. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, you need to have the freshest ingredients and all those things. So I was like, this is amazing. Like that alone, I felt like you could have built a company off of that product. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah. So you've got pesto, but then you're doing soups. Right. And spreads. You've got the hummus. Tell me about that. Yeah. So basically, I guess the the fact that I'm offering such varied products is because these are all of my favorite comfort foods in a jar that's reusable. You know, um, also rebatable through me if you bring yep. back to the farmers markets. But um, they're they're all of my favorite foods to hand have on hand. So for me, hummus was also a huge thing that I would prep on the weekends because when I mentioned opening up the fridge, seeing all these raw ingredients, and having nothing to actually eat, that's where hummus is like my go-to. Yeah, I'm just like okay, couple um, carrots. And my hummus or some crackers and some hummus and I'm good to go. And you're good. So so you've got these products that you're selling at a farmer's market and then you applied to the maker to market program with Lake mm-hmm. Winds Food Co-op. Right. How long had you been at the farmer's market before you applied? So believe it or not, I had not done any farmer's markets yet. So, so you hadn't even really made anything. So I had... Just launched my website uh-huh. in the January. Um, I applied for the Maker to Market the next month in February. Um, and I just started out by, um, like, making posts on social media and then getting kind of a, um, a following on an email subscription list. Mm-hmm. And then I would 
send out, like, I'm taking orders this week. And then I was doing deliveries. I was actually delivering to people's homes. Um, I had some regulars, like, up in Champlin that I would drive soup and drop off a lot of wow. there. Wow, yeah. Um, so I started getting quite a following that way. Um, and then it was actually that huge snowstorm in April. I was driving and doing deliveries and that. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do deliveries anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as, you know, maybe down the line, I would incorporate that a service or something. Yeah. Right. But I think um, I really wanted to explore retail and if my products would be successful in a retail setting. Um, and then once I got into the maker to market program, I was like, all right, we're going to do this. And you're using produce from Good Acre. Right. That's actually the best part of the entire program. So I tell me say. about that. Um, so I was able to, you know, use a lot of organics and really good quality ingredients, but I, I was having trouble sourcing everything locally because I didn't have, other than my CSA, you know, I didn't have connections with right. local farmers and things like that. And especially having lived abroad for a really long time, I'm, I'm still new to the Twin Cities, Twin sure. Cities and the food scene here. So that was just such an amazing component of the program is um, getting to source all of my ingredients locally and actually getting to, like, meet some of these farmers that I'm getting produce from. Like, I met Becca from Open Hands Farm down in Northfield. I get all of my carrots from them. Like, I'm processing 30 pounds of their carrots weekly. Right. And it was so cool to just meet her. And she's doing an awesome thing down there. And she was so excited. I got her a jar of soup. I'm like... You know, actually feeling that connection is just, I think, so, so special. Can you scale up this business? You know, this is something that we talked about, um, you know, in the panel mm-hmm. at the Grow North conference. And I think I'm I'm interested in exploring options to scale. I don't necessarily think that this will be something that's going to go national anytime soon mm-hmm. or international. I think a lot of aspects that make the business great are because it's a small, hyper-local product made with love. And can you you be satisfied with that? Like, can that be enough for you? Right. Honestly, yes. I think um, really the the thing that pushed me the most to actually take the leap and do this was when my husband got got a job here Mm -hmm. once he got back to the U.S. And, you know, we're able to have our benefits through him and... um, live comfortably off of his income, obviously I want my business to be profitable and I'd love it to be something that brings in an extra income. But, you know, this isn't something that I'm, I got into to make the big bucks. To make tons of money. Right. Right. You know, I did it because it's a labor of love and it's something that I wanted to share with other people. And if I can turn a profit one day and, you know, make this a really successful thing, great. Um, But I'm definitely going to have to check in with my intuition every step of the way and make decisions as far as scaling. Well, Um, and I think what's interesting for people to know about you too, and I think I know this just from watching you speak on panels and stuff, like while you're being very um, generous and sort of like, well, it's, you are a business person. I can tell in the way that you approach your business. I can tell in the way that the metrics that you're evaluating and the way you talk about it. But isn't it funny, like, we always think everybody's business needs to be, like, this growth engine. Right. 
and making all this money and that that's the way you get to the happiness and the Holy Grail. What I like about what you're saying is that's not your Holy Grail necessarily. Right. I don't necessarily see that as the definition of success. Um, in fact, I think that in starting a, a business, that can actually be very debilitating. Like if your end goal or, you know, immediate goal even, if yep. you're like, okay, I've got to get into Whole Foods or I've got to get, you know, national shipping right away. It's like for a small business that can come, sometimes be um, too much. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's better to really um, make great relationships along the way, really make sure that you're able to take on each new avenue and kind of incorporate it into the business comfortably. For me, I also want to maintain balance in my life. I don't want to, you know, work myself into the ground. Right. Um, So what does a typical day look like for you now? So I'm cooking three days a week, um, about 20 to 24 hours a week right now. Um, And that I I do have one employee. Uh Uh-huh. So she helps me a lot. That's been awesome having an employee now. Um, And then a couple of office days and then markets. So my weekends are... So far, they've been, um, you know, sporadic because this was my very first market season. But um, hitting the ground running come November, I'm doing a couple different farmer's markets. I will be at the Linden Hills um, Sunday Market um, in November and December. I'll be at the Bachman's Neighborhood Roots Market as well in November. And then I'll be at the Mill City Winter Market. Do you think you'll continue to do markets next year? Like, does that feel like a big part of your business model? It it feeds my soul. <laughs> Aside from soup, markets are honestly like, I just love it. I And I hope that um, never goes away, that joy. I just think it's so fun to get to talk to people and actually see people. One of my favorite feelings is when people walk by my booth like, oh, no, thanks. Because they assume that they can't eat it because they're the kind of people that probably can't eat gluten, can't eat dairy, you know, and they're like, oh, no, thanks. And right. I'm like, you know, it's gluten-free, dairy-free. And they're like, really? Are you serious? Yeah, and some then of this, start... like the wild rice mushroom soup looks kind of cream-based. Right. And they, you know, I was that way for a long time, too, where I would just assume, no. Oh, that's, that's not, not for me. Yeah. Right, that's nothing that I can eat. Um, so seeing this bring people joy and getting to talk to people about their stories and their journeys and, um, obviously at the really busy markets, sometimes you don't get that, but at least you get to see the smile on their face. Is there anybody that you, um, have met like at a market that you admire or that you think their product's really great and you want people to know about it? Like other makers? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I, well, of course I've got Therese from Three Bear Oats. Yeah. Is she's been my rock through the maker to market program um her and i have supported each other a lot i really like her product i'd like to get her on she's got uh yeah. oats that are savory and breakfast and they come in bowls that you heat in the microwave they're a pretty great product right yeah she uses steel cut oats it's like if you take the idea of a grain bowl um but using oats instead of uh-huh. other grains and um she incorporates savory options, which is really cool because it's not something that you would immediately think of for like yeah. a savory oat bowl, but it really puts a an awesome spin on it. And it's good. Yeah. They taste good. It's a really great product. It's in the um, freezer section. Mm-hmm. So it's great to just have on hand because yeah. they're quick to heat and eat. Um, 
but as far as you know being a a fellow maker of mine she's just been incredibly supportive um you know we've kind of leaned on each other a lot throughout the program mm-hmm. and helped each other out a lot um another one of my favorite makers is um rachel bankin from well-rooted teas uh-huh if you've um, heard of her products i've seen them on instagram yeah she's oh her teas are like if you knew how much time and effort she put into like hand picking and preparing and dehydrating the ingredients that go into her tea it's like sometimes i'm like why don't you just like buy that already done and no she gets it all literally like within i i wish i knew the exact mileage but it's something like a 50 mile radius yeah. or a 100 mile uh-huh. radius um, and her teas are just so healing and she's just the most caring, supportive person. Neat. And it's just cool to work in a kitchen with people like that yeah. because it's just such a supportive environment and people, I, you know, you don't always meet people that have that same passion mm-hmm. about their business. And she's kind of like me in that sense that. This is her passion. It's something that she wants to share. She's obviously very business savvy too, but yeah. I think it's it's less about that and more about just like sharing this wonderful healing. Well, and I think that you people. both come from a perspective of wanting to see food heal and help people understand right. the magic of that. That's a really rewarding thing that's different than um, just having a business that makes a lot of money, too. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Yeah, um, for sure. When the Maker to Market program winds down, do mm-hmm. you think you'll still stay at Lake Winds? Do you know? How does that work? Yeah, so the product has been moving really well at Lake Winds, thanks to everybody that's been yep. um, getting it and everything. But So, yes, I will stay in Lake Winds for as long as... Um, as long as they'll have us and, and hopefully, hopefully maybe expanding. expand to a couple of other co-ops at least. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to, um, you know, look at moving to the wedge and the Linden Hills co-op and, um, you know, slowly, but steadily, like yeah. I'd like to, um, kind of focus part-time on markets and then part-time on retail. Like I yeah. definitely don't want to, um, do all of one or all of the other, just because like I said, the markets are just. So incredible. Well, and I so. think you can be in that space for a long time if you want to. Like, right. there's a lot of products that started out, like Salsa Lisa mm. started out at farmer's markets, and she stayed at the markets for a really long time, even when she was in retail. Right. Because she just liked that direct connection with the consumer. Right. Um, you should listen to her podcast. It was one of the earlier ones that I did. I the first. She's in the first, maybe first top 10, top 20. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, she started at the farmer's market and she's just been so amazingly successful. Wow. Um, thank you for being here. Yeah. Jen's Jars, Jen God, Alexander, Soups and Spreads. Yes. Thank um, you so You can find much. them at Lake Winds. You can find her at uh, farmer's markets. And your website is really sweet, too. Thank you. Yeah. Jen's I Jars. was lucky enough to get a... Uh, jensjars.com so <laughs> it's great thank yeah. you for being here Jen. thank you so much